You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. If you're at home, just make yourself a little more comfortable, I guess, in this moment. Uh, glad you're here worshiping with us if you're here live in person. Glad you're here worshiping with us on, on a video from home. I'm uh, really eager to see what God has through this next minor prophet, the prophet of Habak- Habakkuk or Habakkuk. And so you can turn me there, the, the book of Habakkuk, right after Nahum. And so uh, easy to find if you've been following along with us. Probably a little harder if you have not. Go to your concordance in your Bible, your, your beginning part there, and just find it and find the page number. Uh, it's right near the end of the Minor Prophets before Matthew. Probably an easy way to find Matthew. Then flip back a few pages, you'll find Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk is another one of the prophets that kind of catches us off guard as we have been a little bit. That's why I kind of like the Minor Prophets. They are they're eager, they're, they're fascinating. They kind of come at us from different angles. Uh, here's Habakkuk. He is uh, dialoguing with God in evil times, asking some of the hardest questions of our lives and our faith that sometimes we're even afraid to ask God ourselves. Ever wrestled any of these questions before? If God is holy, how come he allows, seems to allow evil to triumph in the world? Ever ask that? Well, this one. If God is truly righteous, why doesn't he step up and elevate the upright and put the wicked in their place? What about this one? If God is all powerful, why doesn't he just kind of come in and, and Right, all the injustices in the world just like that. If God is so good, then how come the world seems so bad? Ever wrestled with those questions before? Come on, we all have, right? And yet, and yet we think somehow that, man, it's not, I must not be a good Christian if I have those questions. And, and how, how would God ever be able to take a question like that from me? I have no right to question God. And yet Habakkuk teaches us that God actually embraces those questions and invites those questions because he has something to teach us about himself and his ways through those questions. And so in this, minor, this little minor prophet, this minuscule book, it has potential for monumental impact in our lives if we can sit and open open our minds and hearts to what God really has. And so Habakkuk isn't one of those prophets that calls down the fire from heaven, the doom and the gloom. He actually has this heart-wrenching, honest question, kind of question and answer with God himself. In fact, it's really not a question and answer. It's more like a gripe session with God. It's kind of like a teenager who doesn't get their own way and doesn't, come on, dad, don't get it. How come? When? That's Habakkuk. And Habakkuk really is two complaints of which God gives answers to, and then a prayer of response uh, to the reality of what he sees about God and learns about God in the, in the, in the process. And so let's just get right into it this morning. It's uh, Habakkuk. We'll start at chapter one. We'll quickly work our way through the three short chapters here. Let's start with, like I said, two hard questions for God. Let's start with the first one. Here it is, the chapter, part of chapter one. Here's the first hard question. God, as the world is getting worse, why don't you step in? As the world is getting worse, why won't you step in? Look at 1 verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. So get this, it's a bit of a different prophet in the sense that Habakkuk is actually seeing a vision from the Lord in this time. It's like Habakkuk's being raised to the heavens to have this this straight up face-to-face dialogue with God. 
And then he reports on what the dialogue is so that we can learn and grow at the same time. Habakkuk, who is Habakkuk? Again, we don't know much about Habakkuk. We do know this, that Habakkuk's name means to embrace, to fold hands in idleness or, to, or a garden plant. First glance, you're like, okay, this is just kind of bizarre. Like all the other prophets, their name means something. It's significant for, the, for what he's going to say. Habakkuk means to embrace, to fold your hands in idleness or a garden plant. So a lot of commentators say his name has nothing to do with this message. What do you think about that? I think that's ridiculous. Does God do everything meaningless? Did ever do anything meaningless? Not at all. God has a purpose and a plan for everything he does. He's meticulous. So here's what I believe the name Habakkuk points us to. It points us to this, that we can embrace God even when it seems his hands are idle because he is planting something good in the world. Even if I don't understand, I can embrace God because he is doing something even when he seems to be idle and planting or creating something beautiful in our world. You ever watch those speakers uh, preaching while the Jesus, the guy's painting the Jesus mural beside them. It's just a mess of colors and you're listening to the speaker, watch this guy make a mess of the sheets and by the end you see the face of Jesus. You're like, wow, that's awesome. That is what God is doing in the world even when it seems like evil is winning. The oracle of Habakkuk, God to Habakkuk to us. Who is Habakkuk? We are not really sure, but he is this prophet that God uses mightily. We do know this about Habakkuk. He prophesied close to Nahum during the final days of the Assyrian rule. So the Assyrians were taken over. They were taking charge. The Babylonians now, the little shift in world power, the Babylonians were being raised up or the Chaldeans were being raised up. And so there's a, little, a whole world shift going on. So there's a lot of uncertainty politically and, and uh, military. There's instability in the world. The smaller states are watching all this happen. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? The people had just thrived under the leadership of King Josiah. So remember Josiah, he was the young, pro, young king and things were going right. He told them, follow the Lord, uh, get back to the ways of the Lord. And the people repented and there was renewal. And so this, this is coming off of that season. Josiah's a little bit behind them now. And so all this political upheaval and the people actually had repented. They experienced this whole amazing time in their, in their country with God. Things were going right for once. God was blessing. They were being obedient. Things were all good in the hood. And then, of course, complacency settled in like it does for us many times. Complacency settled in. And then slowly now, after Josiah left, they were getting back to their old normal ways, the Israelites, and they're back to their ways of watching all this spiritual and moral decline happen once again. And that's where Habakkuk comes in. He's watching it all. He's remembering the, 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 the King Josiah, and they were all doing right, and they are doing well, and, and he's kind of looking at it going like, okay, God, it was so good, and how can you allow us to go back to that place? How can you allow it to be all in chaos again? Haven't we learned our lesson yet? And so Habakkuk 1, verse 2, it's a complaint. says it right there, Habakkuk's complaint. Oh, prophets don't complain. It's bad to complain. We all complain, right? Where's the best place to take your complaints? Not to somebody else, but to the Lord. And listen for his answer. Look what he says in verse 2. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? So he's seeing all this demise, and he's basically saying, God, come on, don't let us go this path again. Please, God, step in. How come you won't hear? You ever felt that before? You're praying, you're earnestly praying about good things and right things. It seems like God is not listening. Like, like are the angels playing their harps too loud? Are you too busy doing other things? Maybe planting your garden in heaven? Like, what's going on? Will you not hear? I don't know about you. This resonates with my heart. 
or cry to you violence and you still won't save? God, do you not see what's happening? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at all the wrong? How come, God? Kind of like, aren't you good, God? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed, it feels. It feels like the, there's, there's no law happening. Everything's in chaos and justice. Look at this. We are always told when in, in we do marital counseling and premarital counseling, never use the word never or always. It just kind of blankets everything. But look what he says here. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Come on, God, the world's in chaos. I've been asking, I've been begging, just give me a response, anything. A, A little whisper, a little tap on the shoulder, a sign in the heavens, anything, God. What really was happening in Israel, the moral landslide was was giving way. The moral code was washed away. As he says here, justice slipped out the back door, was somewhere lost in the woods. Society was crumbling like a neglected old barn. Families were like the, the, eroding like the banks of Fort Erie in places. Sin was rampant, personal pleasure and self-promotion, doctrinal and covenantal unfaithfulness. Leaders had forgotten God, immorality and greed and deception, all the fruit of not the spirit but the flesh. Hatred and injustice, hypocrisy, oppression, the list goes on and on. Look at some of the words, violence and injustice and oppression and strife and conflict. And really what Habakkuk is calling for is just, God be God. Isn't it easy to get there? I just stop at this place in the text before the Lord gives an answer to this, and I just acknowledge that, man, I can find myself a lot of times in Habakkuk's place, can't you? We have our dreams and our ideals of what the world will look like and what our lives should look like, and we look at like, our lives compared to what, what we dream and what we want and what God has allowed, and we're like, what in the world is going on? How long, oh God, will this be in upheaval? Look around at our own country. It's not far from where Habakkuk's country was. The leaders were not leading godliness, absolutely. In fact, the leaders of our culture today lead the exact opposite of what godliness would say. And you look at it, you're like, God, how long? When will we have a godly leader? You look at maybe some of your work situations where your bosses treat you like garbage, your relational strife, and you're, you're just wondering, like, God, how long? Look around the world today. And, man, we see the racial injustices. We see the, the murders. We see the human trafficking. We see the racism and the political unrest, the spiritual deception, the moral insanity. Families seem to be struggling now more than ever, and the world seems to be out of control How long, oh God? Psalmist asks us a lot in the Psalms, chapter 13. He says this, How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? These are questions we know aren't true, but we just seem to ask them over and over. And it's not wrong to ask them, I might point out. Psalm 13, how long must I take counsel in my own soul? Like, how much... You need me to figure this out for myself and have sorrow in my heart all the day long. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is really the deep question of Habakkuk. God, the world is a mess. How long? Notice in this, first, that it's okay to ask those questions. 
They're normal, they're real, they're faith-stirring questions. A lot of maybe people in your small group, you can ask that if you're a good Christian. Those are questions we should be asking and we ought to ask. Notice this also, that God never chastises Habakkuk for his hard questions in this text ever. It's not like you, you unfaithful, uh, untrusting little peon. He never does. Here's the God that we serve. God embraces those questions. He he allows us and encourages those questions. He wants a relationship with us that holds nothing back from him. In other words, like our kids. When we're like our kids, you're parents. And our kids have something wrong. We ask them, what do we not want them to say? Nothing when something's clearly wrong. We want them to come and ask us why so we can work through it with them. We can wrestle through with them. And they can ultimately see our hearts in it. That's God with his kids. And get this, even though it doesn't feel like it, God always hears and responds to our cries for relief, Psalm 4 one tells us that. God always hears and responds to our cries for relief. How do we know this? Look at the answer. God answers them right away. No indignation, no, no chastisement. He just answers. Look what he says. Look what he says in, in verse 5. The Lord's answer. Complaint? Here's your answer. Habakkuk, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe it if I told you. In other words, in other words, here's what he's saying. Habakkuk, 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 can you stop screaming for a moment? Can you quiet your soul? Take a few deep breaths. Take a few deep breaths. Stop, and instead of looking around, look up. Look up at God. Look up and see God. And believe this, that even though you can't see it, I am working. And I'm going to work in a way that is going to astound you. If I told you what I was going to do, you probably wouldn't believe me. So stop talking and just look for God for a moment. Don't you need to hear that sometimes? Circumstances, circumstances, circumstances. Stop and look up. John 5.17 tells us God is always working and he's working very now and he works in ways that beyond the way we could ever ask or imagine. In fact, this is going to be an astounding answer to you because he's saying, how are you going to take care of this moral mass? You know what God says? I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, the evil empire of the Babylonians who don't love me or who follow me. I'm going to raise them up to take down my people. And you're like, What? What? Look what it says here, verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, which is the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. And basically what he's saying is like, I'm going to raise them up. They're going to come for, their horses are going to triumph. Their violence is going to come. They're going to gather captives. The kings, the, the kings scoff. The rulers laugh. And they're going to take down every part of my people. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? It'd be like me with my son and saying, son, I can't, I can't get you to get this, so I've called up the biggest bully in the neighborhood. The angry kid with the big arms and the tattoos and the tank tops, cussing and screaming. I have arranged for a meeting with you and him in the backyard. He's going to beat the pass out of you. You'd be like, what? You've lost your nut. And yet that's exactly what God is saying here to Habakkuk. He's like, I am going to sovereignly and divinely raise up my enemies to teach my kids a lesson because they might not learn any other way. And it's ultimately because I love them, I'm going to rescue them, I'm going to show them uh, how wrong they were and how right I am. Isaiah 55 verse 9 tells us this, that God's ways are higher than our ways. 
and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Here's the reality. We just don't understand how higher his ways are and how higher his thoughts are. We put God in these little boxes. This is how God works. No, God is busting the box. He says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do to accomplish my purposes. It's so mind-boggling. It's like trying to talk to a mathematics genius or a physics guru and you finish the conversation like, what are you talking about? That's trying to understand the mind of God, but in a greater way. Justice, God says, is going to come at the most unlikely hands, the hands of the Babylonians. Here's the truth in this. God works through men and circumstances beyond our imagination. His supernatural work is always through natural means, and he even uses unbelievers to be a tool in his hands for his sovereign purposes. Crazy. This is God. Not my God, he's a nice, neat, neat little comfy God. This is the reality of God. Let's stop and think about this for a minute. If God works this way, then, then, then we can actually, as God's people, chill out a little bit and allow God to be God in our world. How often have you in the last little while gotten all upset because our government's not doing what's right and, and how come all the evil, we gotta step up and rise up and rise up and rise up. How often have you got there in your own hearts? But here's the reality. Everything that's happening in this world is sovereignly divinely appointed by God. Even our leaders who aren't godly, even the circumstances that are out of control, these are all appointed by God for his divine purposes. What is it to bring Christians to their knees? To cause us to step up in our longing for him, to, to bring about a maybe a revival in our hearts, to cause renewal and repentance in our lives. And we see it right now all over the place. We see it in our lives. God, this evil, this evil. Why do you allow this evil in my life? How come I can't get past this tough situation or this struggling this or this struggling that? When are you going to relent? Maybe when we get on our knees and call out to him. Maybe he's doing it and allowing it because we have lessons to learn that we just don't want to learn because we still need to realize that God is God and we are not. And until we realize that, he's going to keep the pressure on. Because that's going to be for our ultimate good and his divine purposes. Here's a second complaint. God, how could you be so right and work in ways that appear so wrong? Isn't it true you read this and you're like, I don't think this is truly the God that I know. This is the God of the Bible. If you don't know this God, this is the only God. He works in ways so beyond us. Just when we think we haven't figured out, guess what? Boom, he works in a completely different way. I know what you're doing in this God. And how many times, I know what you're doing in this God, or I know what you're not doing in this God, only for God to be like totally blindsided from the left and be like, oh man, I didn't see that right at all. God did know all along. You ever use that statement, didn't see that one coming? Why? Because we can't figure God out. The second complaint is really Habakkuk struggling to reconcile the theology of God with his practical experience with God. 
God, I know who you are, and I know how you work, but this doesn't seem to align with your character. Come on, God, it's not even a complaint. You're just trying to figure it out, God. How does this fit together? I don't get how you've allowed all these things in my life. I don't get how this world has, has come to what it is. I don't get it, I don't get it, but can you help me, God? I don't want to be this angry, bitter, obnoxious Christian. I want to rest in the reality of a sovereign God. Help me figure it out, God. Help me figure out why. Maybe my marriage isn't what I thought it was going to be. My job didn't pan out the way that I hoped for, or my family's going through all these rough situations with all these people going through hard things. I, I help me figure out why the world is not what I want it to be. He even appeals to God's nature here in verse 12. Look at this, Habakkuk's second complaint. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to raise up the Babylonians. They're going to take over world, world domination. They're going to take down his people. Habakkuk's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does this really reflect the reality of my God? Are you not from everlasting? He's like, are you not eternal? Are you not the God who, who is above time and all of history is at your disposal and you can act within time? Are you not the God who supersedes everything? It's not fitting, God. Oh, Lord, my God, my holy one, are you not holy? Are you not set apart and pure and, and disdain for evil like your word says? But I know this is true, but help me figure this out. In fact, the Bible tells us that more than, more than a loving God, it says often that God is love, yes, but God is holy, 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 holy. As equally as he is love, he is holy. He's like, are you not holy? Doesn't holy mean that you hate injustice? Have you not ordained judgment the way the word says? Is it not like coming you are the rock you have established the unbeliever to show us your goodness and justice and hate for evil your eyes are too pure to see evil and you cannot look at wrong and yet like what's going on there's no impurities God in you there's no inconsistencies in you in any way shape or form you don't tolerate evil God's not the referee that lets things go or just lets them play once in a while because he's tired of blowing his whistle that's not God so why are you allowing this to happen God he goes on in the next part of this is to tell God how bad the Babylonians are he's Babylonians are going to treat Judah like fishermen plucks and disposes of fishes. He's going to drag them in and limit their freedoms and putting them under their control. They, they sacrifice to idols. They live in luxury and, and indulge themselves in food while gloating over their enemies. And, and I don't get it, God. But then he ends here by saying, you know what? I'm going to, chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to take my stand at my watch post, but I'm going to trust you right now. I'm going to, I'm going to stand and watch for you. I'm going to believe that you're coming, I'm going to look out to see what you will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaints. So like God, just speak to me and I'm going to figure it out. I'll, I'll speak what you speak. Here's what God says to him. Here's what God says to him. Basically his answer is, wait for me. I will come through. Wait for me, I will come through. Look what he says. Lord, answer me. Write this vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. Basically this will happen. Put it down Habakkuk, it's going to happen. Notice that it did happen just a few years after Habakkuk stopped uh, prophesying. All these things did come true, amazingly enough. Not surprising, a prophet appointed by God. But look at this, verse 3, for still the vision awaits his appointed time. 
It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems slow. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Notice this. God's saying, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, slow down. If I said it, it's going to happen. He's appointed a time for all to happen. It's just not Habakkuk's time. How many times has God said that to you? It's, the time is coming. It's just not your time. God's like, I got it marked on my calendar. It's circled. I'm taking notes. I'm planning and and calculating. The day of reckoning is coming for everyone. It's getting closer. Time is ticking away. So until then, he says to them here, until then, don't be like Babylon. Verse four, just don't be like Babylon. Calm your emotions. Get your head in a clear space. Just don't be like Babylon. What's Babylon? Their soul is puffed up. They think they're all that. It's not, uh, it's not upright within them. They're following evil, but, but instead do this. The righteous shall live by his faith. Here's what he's basically saying. It's a, it's a statement that we probably know is true. We just don't want to hear. Well, I'm glad I don't have to tell you this today. It's God telling you this. Take a downer. Take a deep breath. And I'll do my job. You do your job. God's job is I'll take care of it in my appointed time. What's our job? Circle it. Verse four, the righteous shall live by his faith. Notice, not just a blanket faith, not somebody else's faith. The righteous will live by his faith. This is repeated three times in the New Testament in Galatians and Hebrews and in Romans 1.17. In Romans 1.17, it's a quote of the gospel. It's the power of Jesus. The righteous will live by faith. In other words, stop going by what you see, what you think, and what you feel. Simply have faith. Where does faith meet the road? When it doesn't go the way we think it should. Where does trust really come in with God? When it's going the opposite of the way of what we desire it to. Faith is, I will continue on. I will keep my eyes on Jesus. And I will simply not run in fear or falter in my walk with God. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to live by faith. Verse 5, he says this, don't turn to alcohol, moreover wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. And so don't, don't drown your sorrows like some are tempted to do. Maybe some here are tempted to drown your sorrows. The world's getting worse. How do you cope with that? You get some more alcohol in your system. That's not it. His greed is as wise as Sheol. You think, oh, God doesn't care. Anyways, I'm just going to go live my life and get as much as I can and gather unto myself. That's not it. Just walk by faith. If we're saved today, we have faith. Not because we're smart people and smarter than everyone else, because the Holy Spirit has saved us. Holy Spirit's tapped us on the shoulder, and God, we've seen the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ, and we are saved, and and the Holy Spirit is implanted in us to now live out all these things. And I can't do it, I can't do it. Yes, you can walk by faith, because the Holy Spirit within you empowers you and enables you to not just not sin, but to walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Not talk about faith, not pontificate about faith, but to actually live by faith in a quiet confidence in our God knowing this. The rest of chapter two is basically saying, just just walk by faith. Just walk by faith because the reality is even though Babylon's gonna rise up and seem to dominate, they're also going to go down into their rightful place in judgment after they accomplish my purposes. The rest of the chapter is five woes to Babylon. Not like woe as in like, whoa, that's cool. It's like woe as in like judgment and despair. And, and so don't, don't give up hoping in God and go and live like the world because Babylon has theirs coming too. I'm going to use them. 
But in the end, they're also going to get their rightful due in sovereign justice that every unbeliever one day is going to get who doesn't turn to Jesus Christ and turn to him by faith. So five woes here showing that wickedness will be punished. Evil will not ultimately win. It will be punished and tossed into the lake of fire forever as God has said in his word. Five woes in verse 6, verse 9, verse 12, verse 15, verse 19. You can just circle them. I circle the little woe, 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 woe. Uh, verse 6, 9, 12, 15, and 19. And let me just summarize them for you quickly. Look what it says here. The greedy will ultimately come up empty is one of the woes. Don't worry. The greedy are ultimately going to come up empty the high will eventually be made low they think they're all up there doing their own thing in all their glory guess what their walls will crumble like humpty dumpty and they will fall down the glory seekers will be overshadowed if you're tempted to any of these things let it be a warning to you if you're wrestling these things in your heart just just know this in your own heart this is god's grace to you to show you these things it's easy to give in to greed, isn't it, in our culture today? To greed and guys with all kinds of spiritual lingo, but the greedy, the greedy will come up empty. The high, you think you're all that? You think you're all that? You will be made low. Glory seekers, so I want the glory, I want the, I want the, the, the spotlight, the glory seekers, they will be overshadowed by God. The perverse, fourth woe, will find their destruction They'll find their destruction. Back in this day, they're right out of the text. They're getting people drunk to have their sexual way with him. And God's like, you're going to do that? And your nakedness is going to be revealed. Your nakedness to the soul and wrath will come upon you. Their idols will ultimately be toppled. They'll be revealed as nothing and empty and silent and dead. God is the ultimate silencer. And in the end, he will have his say. And all the wrongs will be made right is the rest of chapter 2. Isn't that awesome? But God, it seems that evil wins. It won't. But it feels like you're not in control. He is. But, 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 but. But how about we stop giving God the buts and the complaints, thinking that we know better than him? Isn't that true how it comes down to we... He's not answering my prayers. Well, maybe he's not answering your prayers because you're not praying the right things because you think you know better than God and you have no idea what God's doing in the grand scheme of things. Don't forget, don't forget where God sits and where we sit. God sits on the holy mountain, like, that, like the, the, the log ride of the, the Ferris wheel at, the Ferris wheel at Niagara Falls. You, you can see things from down below. You get up on the Ferris wheel, man, you can see everything in clarity, you know what I mean? That's where God sits all the time. He sees everything in clarity. We're down here. We don't see. We look up. We're like, wow, it's a big... You get up there. You can see... You get the picture, right? That's where God is. And so what God has called us to in chapter 2 is simply this. Four things. To walk by faith and not give up hope and experience the woes of God. To walk by faith. To keep doing what we're doing. Here's the goal for every believer when things seem upside down, when you can't seem to hear from God, you can't seem to make sense of God, you don't know what God is doing, here's the goal of every believer to keep walking by faith. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Don't, don't think you should tell God what he should be doing. Here's God's goal for us. Be a Christian. Be eager. Be ready. Be available. Be faithful. Be obedient. 
and trust God in it. Walk by faith. Be faithful. Easy to say, I get it. Easy to preach. I can tell you this till I'm blue in the face. You just got to walk by faith until it becomes hard in my life. I get it. And you're tempted to do all kinds of things and take things into your own hands and and figure things out. Here's what God tells us. When when the world's upside down and evil seems to win, just walk by faith. Just keep being the Christian you're supposed to be and let God take care of the rest. There's rest in that. There's peace in that. There's hope in that. There's comfort in that. You don't have to solve the world's problems. Awesome. You and I are called to walk humbly with our God. Love God and love justice and mercy and walk humbly with our God, as Micah says. How's that going for you? Are you getting all worked up about some things and all worked up and you're going to be the one that's going to be the voice that changes? How about we just rest and walk by faith? Here's, here's the other thing this, this, this chapter teaches us. Not just to walk by faith, but to watch. To look for God. I think sometimes we get our eyes on all the circumstances and all the things. We go through all the scenarios in our head, right? I got all the scenarios. I got all six scenarios. I know where they're all going to end. How about we watch for God? This is what, this is what Habakkuk is doing in chapter 2, verse 1 to 1 and verse 1. He's just, he's, he's just watching. Okay, God, I'm going to stop. I'm just going to watch for you. I'm just going to watch. I'm going to watch. I'm going to have my eyes peeled, and I'm going to watch. Believing. That God's word and God's will will never be stopped or quenched or it will never fade. God's always working. I don't see it, so it can't be so. It doesn't matter if we see it or not. God is always working in the subtle ways. We look for the big things, don't we? We look for the great big things like, like Elijah did. And how did God come in the, in the whisper, in the, in the gentle wind? How about we stop and just look for God, look for all the ways God is working instead of all the ways God is not working? It's not fast enough. It's not big enough. Well, but he's still working. Oftentimes we forget to watch for God and see the little glimpses of God and we think everything's upside down. Habakkuk reminds us, watch for God, watch for God, watch for God. In the morning, God, I'm just going to look for you. Little, little whispers in your word to my heart. Little, little encouragement from somebody else. Uh, the, the times where I actually feel the Lord's presence and know it's going to be okay. Watch for God. Instead of closing your eyes, open them wide to the things of God. How about this one, to wait? To wait. I hate this word. You probably don't like this word as well, but be patient. Be patient. Everything's instant, right? COVID has changed my life in some ways for good. My wife doesn't go shopping anymore. We order on Amazon. It's there the next day. No more shopping malls. Woohoo! Instant. And so we expect that from God too. Well, I said the prayer. It's like the next day at nine o'clock. Your delivery guy's late. Where are you? God doesn't work in our timetables according to our agendas or our plans He might inconvenience us because he needs to teach us. And here's a good word for us as we wait upon God to even change the things in our world. When's COVID going to end? When's it going to end? When's it going to end? When God determines it's going to end for us, instead of trying to force our hand, why don't we wait and see what God's going to do? Maybe God's got more stuff to teach us. There's more more of the sin sin of, of maybe self 
reliance to weed out of us. There's more of a, uh, an urgency for a revival that we haven't had yet that we need. Wait, wait, wait. Wait for God's direction and follow him with all that you have. Sometimes waiting means staying under for far longer than you ever wanted to. Sometimes it's get going and do something. But not until God makes it clear and affirms it. Wait, wait, wait. When is this world going to end in the sense of all the evil when Jesus comes back? Well, when's that going to be? They've been waiting for 2,000 years. Well, it's not ready yet. So stop asking God and saying, God, you're out, you've missed your time. It's been 2,000 years. You're not coming. No, he's coming in his time. We wait for his return. That's what we're so eager for. We wait for his return. We long for his return. Wait for it. It is coming. And the reality is, in the end, Christians will win. <laughs> We will win. That's what, that's what this whole Habakkuk is about. We're going to win. We, we might lose some battles here on earth, but God promises that the war will be won. All the evil is going to be put down. All the righteousness is going to be lifted up. God's plans and purposes will prevail. Better than a good movie, because that's all fiction. This is real time, true life, righteous rewarded, wicked punished. It will happen. So let's not lose heart. Let's not run ahead of God. Let's not lag behind God. Let's walk and watch and wait knowing the victory will come. Martin Lloyd-Jones, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones Jones summarizes this whole book with this, four lessons. He said it better than I do, so let me just, it's kind of what I've said already. Let me recap it with this. Four lessons we can learn from Habakkuk. God is in control at every point in human history. Right now, the same as he was when Jesus was alive, when Jesus died, when all this history leading up to his God is in control at every point in human history, and he is in control today. Believe it, know it. God's plan cannot be thwarted, as Job 42.2 says. You can't stop it. I can't stop it. No one can stop it. It's God's plan, and it's good, and it's going to lead to the ultimate redemption of his people. Number three, God works in his time. Number four, God's kingdom will prevail. When evil seems to be winning, my summary, don't fear, God will come out on top. All of that leads to Habakkuk's prayer in chapter three. All of that dialogue, he complains a couple times, God gives answers, he lets his heart wrestle, uh, he, he thinks about it, he prays about it, he seeks the Lord. I think what he's doing here is really seeking God, what do you want, no, do I want, I'm not trying to force my opinions and agendas on you, God, I want you to show me your opinions and agendas. And so as he sits under this and God's spirit gauges him in this, guess what? He leads chapter, ends chapter, chapter three of the prayer and it says basically this, I don't understand you, God, but I will trust you. I don't understand you, but I will trust you. It's a song almost. Like you almost put lyrics to this. And, and it's kind of a summary of Job 42. Remember Job went through all these hard things and, and battled with God and questioned God and fought with God and some things, but ultimately had trust in God. And in the end of Job 42, he says this, the last, one of the last chapters, he says, I've heard rumors of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I take back my words and repent in dust and ashes. In other words, God, I'm sorry for all my complaining. I'm sorry for not trusting. I'm just going to trust you. And then this whole prayer points us to some quick things. I'm just going to just jump through here before we end. But it's, it's so hard to do these, these summaries. So I want to tell you everything, every sermon. I just possibly can't. So let me just, best way to know how to tell you everything in this sermon. I don't understand you, God, but I will trust you. How do we trust God in these things? We fear God alone. 
Figure out pleasing people and wondering what people are going to do to us or what is the outcomes where we fear God alone because he can destroy the body and the soul and how we don't take matters into our hands. We fear God alone. We pursue God's renewal. Verse two, God, I, I want renewal. I want repentance. I want revival in my own heart. I want, I want you to do something new in me. Even though it's hard, even though I don't get it, I want you through this season to do something new in me. I don't want to try and escape this. I don't want to try and fix it. I want you to do something new in me, a new work of the life of God in me. I want to see his splendor, verses three and four. Look for the beauty and the grace and the loving kindness of God. Notice after every storm, what is there? After every storm, there's a rainbow. Look for the rainbow, even in the storm and through the storm. Look for the glory of God. He wants to show you his glory, even in the hardness and the confusion, the pain. Even when evil wins, God wants to show you his glory. Next one, fourth one, beware of God's wrath. Some of these things just remind us if we're not walking with Jesus, Smarten up. Very simply, smarten up. God's not the Santa Claus. You just go and sit on his knee and get your gifts and tug on his beard a little bit. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift, but he's the God of the universe. He's a person with moral character and uprightness and holiness and justice and rightness. And so if you're in any of these places where you're hearing this sermon and you're simply not walking with God, you're doing your own life, it's a beware because... The evil will consume you eventually and destroy you, but God offers you grace and hope and freedom in Jesus Christ as you repent and turn to Jesus today. The hope is only for those who are saved, only for those who have their hope in Jesus Christ, who have put their life in his hands. Know God's power, he says here, verses 9 to 16. He's reminding them even in verse 11 of how in Joshua 10, the sun stood still for a day so God's people could defeat, defeat the enemy, the Amorites, don't forget God's powerful. Let's get the this can't or this won't, this can and this will if God desires it and designs it. God is powerful in every circumstance in your life and in this universe. Things can change instantly. The evil can be gone instantly. Look how things changed back in March. Our whole world changed in an instant. God can change it back in an instant. Don't stop looking and believing that God has the power to intercede in the world and your life in powerful ways that will knock your socks off for the glory of God. In verses 17 to 19, we can stop and simply do this, rejoice. We can rejoice. We can rejoice in God's presence. Look at how it ends. Look at how it ends. The Lord, yet I will rejoice, verse 18, in the Lord. I have joy, I have song, I have hope. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. Not even in circumstances changing. My hope and my joy and my rejoicing is in God who is over the circumstances. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Amen and amen. You might not have even got the answers to the hard questions that you wanted in this. You might have been waiting for them. Well, God's just gonna answer your prayers and do it and God's gonna make your life easy and it's not what it says. Here's the final reality of Habakkuk. As the evil increases, we get lower and keep our eyes trusting in Jesus, trusting that he is the God who he says he is. His character matches his reality and he will, in the end, prove himself true and faithful in every one of our lives. For the unbeliever, he will be the ultimate judge. For the believer, he'll be the ultimate deliverer. You can't escape that. You can't deny that. You can deny that, but you can't run around that. That is our God. He is our God. 
And he is awesome and worthy of all of our praise, adoration, and affection. He's worthy of our lives. So we leave here walking by faith and not by sight, trusting in our God. Amen? Let me pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the truth you've given us in your word. We acknowledge, God, that we are Habakkuk. We wrestle, we struggle, we lack faith at times. We don't see, we don't understand. We get upset, we get bitter, we get angry. We think we have the better plan for our lives than you have. But yet, God, you show us that you're sovereignly in charge of every aspect of human history, including our lives. God, I pray you'd help us today surrender our struggles and frustrations to you. Help us to trust you, God, and to believe that you are, you've, you've given us our lives, you've given us Jesus, you've, you've, you've put us in the exact place we're supposed to be with all the things, the good and the bad and the ugly all around us, and you simply are aiming to show us your glory and to help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, give us faith, oh God. Give us a deeper glimpse of your glory. God, help us to truly surrender to you in every aspect of our lives, our our personal lives, our careers, our marriages, our families, our community, our church, our community, our country. God, help us to truly trust you with all of it and to simply aim to be faithful servants who worship you, display your light to the world around us, and live in the freedom and the hope that you haven't just promised to give us, you have given us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we live differently today, God, because of what you've taught us. May we think differently. May we feel differently. May we act differently as we allow you to be God, the creator and sustainer of all things, and rightfully take our place as your creation, your children. Lead us on, O Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.